From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Sanibel Island took a direct hit when Hurricane Ian made landfall two weeks ago. It was about 10 days before any residents were able to make it back to the island, and efforts are now underway to begin the process of removing the contents of water-soaked homes that experienced up to 12 feet of storm surge in some areas. And the process is also underway to begin filing insurance claims, for those who have insurance, that is. For the first part of today's show, we're going to get a glimpse into the issues around insurance that Barrier Island residents are facing right now. I spoke about an hour ago with Chris Heydrich. He's agency principal at Heydrich and Company Insurance on Sanibel Island. Let's hear that conversation now. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So how long have you lived out on Sanibel Island? Uh, we lived here for 15 years. You're out there now, I understand? I am, yes. Uh, I took a break from cleaning all the wet, moldy junk from my ground level uh, to do this interview. And when we're done, I'll get back to it. So uh, I was reading your website. One of your first assignments when you were a claims adjuster for Prudential was to manage on-site claims after Hurricane Andrew. Um, can you draw any comparisons at this point to that major storm back in 92 versus Hurricane Ian, which came through here a couple weeks ago? It, it's really hard to compare one hurricane to another. Um, the uh, Andrew was much more of a wind event than a flood event. And uh, the, 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 this event is totally different. Uh, we're seeing a lot more flood damage than we are wind damage. I want to be careful not to stereotype. There are certainly some people who had catastrophic wind damage, uh, and you know, the, the, our hearts go out to everybody who is impacted by this storm. Uh, but trying to compare one hurricane to another is next to impossible. I've heard people try to compare this storm to Hurricane Charlie uh, in 2004, and of course, uh, it's no comparison. Understood. Um, about what percentage of your clients live on Sanibel or the other barrier islands here in southwest Florida? It's probably somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of our clients are on Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, or Captiva. And you, um, as an insurance agency, you guys really do focus on trying to provide the kinds of coverage that people who live on a barrier island and might face a storm like this, you know, that's what your specialty is, right? It has to be. With our agency located on Sanibel Island, on a barrier island, um, we, we have to know what products are available in our local market. You, you try to prepare people um, when they're buying a home. Of course, I don't think anybody uh, who would have thought three weeks ago that an event like this was even possible. So yeah, there's a, a delicate balance when someone's buying a home to trying to be real uh, and without coming across as a fear monger. So, uh, but unfortunately, even with as many products as you may have, um, there are always gaps in the coverages. And, and this storm actually has found a significant gap between wind and flood for many homeowners. What was the estimated storm surge that Sanibel received? Uh, Anywhere from 4 to 12 feet is what I've seen. Um, The reports, I think, were 8 to 12. Um, I think that was, yeah, the predictions for storm surge aren't what to expect. This is the maximum that we could reasonably see. Uh, so the eight, I don't know, I don't know what the reports were, but I can tell you that most of the homes that I'm seeing have anywhere from four to 12 feet of water in them. Were most structures on the island flooded or at least their ground floors if they're built on stilts or pilings? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, there might be a handful that may have escaped some flooding or may have only gotten a couple of inches, but the vast majority had at least four feet of water in them, uh, because- especially on the Gulf side of the island. The Gulf side of the island uh, was much more heavily affected than the Bay side. 
This was definitely a flood event, as we all know. Um, do you have a sense of you know how many people on the island do have the flood insurance that is required to handle this kind of an event? Uh, I haven't seen any estimates for Sanibel specifically. Uh, I think I've seen some some statistics for Lee County uh, that were around eighteen and a half percent. Not not every place in Lee County is in the special flood hazard area where flood insurance is required. Special flood hazard area is where FEMA has predicted that um, there's a 1% chance in any given year of a flood occurring. On Sanibel Island, I think that we probably had higher than 18.5%. Um, of course, the entire island of Sanibel, and this is true of Fort Myers Beach and Captiva as well, are in that special flood hazard area. So everybody that has a mortgage uh, would have been required to carry flood insurance. But flood insurance is also a very limited policy. So just because you had flood insurance doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be made whole depending on the age and type of structure you have. Is that based on which company you get your flood insurance through, or is that more based on the home, like you just said? It's, it's based on the home. Um, so the National Flood Insurance Program provides over 90% of the flood insurance across the country. So that's, that's through the, federal, the U.S. federal government. Uh, the U.S. federal government dictates the coverage form, dictates the premium, dictates the underwriting. Uh, and then any private companies, and since 2014, we've seen some more private insurance, flood insurance coming into the market. Those companies tended to follow the NFIP policy form, so to make it easy for lenders to determine that the coverage is at least as broad and that they can accept it. Um, so if people didn't have flood insurance and they had other kinds of insurance, because this was a primarily flood event, they're going to have some real trouble going forward, I presume. Right. That's, that's the big challenge is, you know, you have a flood event. Um, I mean, the number one thing that I'm hearing clients frustrated with is flood insurance does not cover loss of use or temporary living expenses. So there is a, a big gap there. So then the next thing you look to is your homeowner a wind policy. And the, if you, know, you have to look at what's the proximate cause of the loss. So if you're talking about looking for loss of use coverage and your wind policy provides loss of use coverage, but your home is not inhabitable because of flood damage, not wind damage, you may not get that loss of use coverage from your wind insurer. Um, so this is going to sound really strange, um, but this is an event where you almost hope that you have significant wind damage because the wind policy is so much more broad than the flood policy. I was going to ask that, um, you know, I had a house destroyed by Hurricane Charlie in 2004, and it was caused by wind because it pushed a huge tree on the house and it really made the claims process very straightforward because there was not much there was nothing to haggle over the house was clearly destroyed is that kind of applicable in some cases here uh it, it can be um it's you know in our, in our house we have a water line every, every place that flooded has a water line so you can tell exactly how high that water got um and anything that water line and below is clearly flood damage if you lost part of your roof and you had rain come into your house, so you have ceilings collapsing, well, that's clearly wind damage. Uh, the, the flood for most homes did not go, you know, over the roof. Um, and, and, and where where it did, uh, those homes probably aren't on that lot anymore. Um, so it's it's often easy to distinguish between flood and wind damage. It's of course impossible if you're coming back to a vacant lot. Um, I was reading through some of your blog posts that you've been putting out since the beginning, right before the storm, and you were talking about how here in the wake of the storm, some of the flood insurance companies are you know, letting you open uh, claims in bulk because of the pervasive storm surge. Can you just talk a bit about that? It, that, that was an approach that – I'm glad you asked that. Uh, that was an approach that our 
our agency chose to take, it didn't make any sense for us to sit and wait for our thousands of customers to be calling us and telling us there was a hurricane. We knew that there was a hurricane, right? So the fastest and most efficient way to get these claims filed would be to go out, call the insurance company and ask them to open a claim on every home that we insure on the barrier island. Some were able to do that. The ones that weren't able to do that, we were able to assign one employee to just sit at a desk all day and just file a claim on every single policy that says unknown hurricane damage. I would want to say, though, that you know, we didn't choose. The only reason why we chose to do that on the barrier islands and not on the mainland is it was so clear that every home on the barrier islands or the vast majority had had an impact. It was really impossible for us to make that determination on the mainland. And uh, it's it's not a good practice to for us to be opening up claims um, haphazardly. Um, so if we would have said we're going to open a claim for every client, um, we would have put a lot of extra work on the resources of the insurance companies and the adjusters that are already taxed beyond their limit. Understood. Um, where does citizens' property insurance fit into this story when it comes to Sanibel homeowners and business owners? Well, I was actually, uh, I was with the CEO and the chief claims officer of Citizens, and I took them for a tour of, of Sanibel to, you know, so they could put their eyes on the damage. Um, Citizens has about 40,000 claims that have been reported so far statewide. About 1,800, uh, somewhere between 16 and 1,800 on Sanibel. And they're taking a very unique approach to the claims adjustment process. Uh, they have satellite imagery that's in high enough resolution that they can look at a home and tell how many roof tiles are missing. So they're going to start by trying to contact clients by telephone and at least get money in that, in that client's hands. So this is you know, one thing I want, I want to emphasize this, that this claims process is going to take a little while. Um, the first offer for an insurance company is not a lowball offer. It's an attempt for the insurance company to get money into the client's hands as quickly as possible so they can begin their recovery process. But it is almost expected that by the time that the homeowner starts to do their repairs, uh, that costs will have gone up because of the demand surge. We're all competing for the same materials and labor. Uh, and there's going to be additional damage that an adjuster is going to have to get home to see. So every insurance company is going to take a different approach, but I thought that that approach from citizens was um, was outstanding. Uh, the other item that Mr. Gilway shared with me is um, I, I don't know if these I don't know if these are official estimates yet, but he said that you know, he he feels that the uh, very comfortable that the amount of claims that citizens will have will be well within its policyholder surplus. So they're going to have no problem paying these claims. And you know, don't expect to, to trigger any kind of assessments or anything else out of that. That was very, very good news to hear from him. Does your insurance agency interact at all with FEMA or the SBA in a time like this? Not for the disaster assistance um, applications. Um, so I think that's where you're going. Um, I think Representative Donalds was at a Sanibel daily briefing um, a week or two ago and encouraged everybody. I mean, just point blank everybody to apply for disaster assistance. Um, but insurance agencies um, are not experts on disaster assistance and the requirements and, and all of that. And in fact, we need to be spending our focus right now um, helping clients through the claims process. So for disaster assistance, I'd say go to that website, apply, and then call Representative Donald's office for further assistance or FEMA for additional assistance. Um, an insurance agent probably isn't the best place to go for that. So insurance companies have their own claims adjusters, but then there are, are there are also public adjusters. Can you just explain the difference in what people with insurance should be thinking about right now? 
That's that's a great point. Um, so the insurance companies um, obviously uh, take citizens, for instance. I mean, the number of claims adjusters they're going to need is far beyond the number of employees they have. Uh, so insurance companies don't keep an army of people on staff sitting around waiting for a hurricane to occur. They use outsourced contractors, which are called independent adjusters. So an independent adjuster is a, uh, an adjuster that's hired by the insurance company to work on their behalf and to help you through the claims process. A public adjuster is one that you as a policyholder hire on your own. Public adjusters uh, by state law can't charge more than 10% of your claim amount. And this is the key point. They're not charging the insurance company. They're charging you as the policyholder. So if you have a very straightforward claim, you know, your house is washed away, you came back to a vacant lot, kind of hard to justify using a public adjuster. Um, if you feel that you're, you, you just you fall between a gap and you're not going to get everything paid for, you're, you're already out of pocket some, you'd have to question why you'd want to spend some of those proceeds you're going to receive on a public adjuster. Now, that said, you know, we're neutral on a public adjuster, so I know what I just said is, is kind of leading in a different direction. But um, for some people, uh, they just don't want to go through the claims process, are afraid of the claims process, and they want to hire a public adjuster. And it's really not much different than hiring an accountant to do your taxes, right? You, you can do your taxes on your own if you want to. Most people choose to hire somebody. So it's really a personal decision, and I would encourage people to go to the um, Florida Insurance Consumer Advocates Office. Uh, I'm not sure what that URL is, but if you Google that, uh, you'll find uh, some additional resources to help you determine should you hire a public adjuster and, um, and how it would help. The last point that I want to make, though, is it is not necessary to hire a public adjuster to get through the claims process. And the, it was the, I'm going to pass along some words from the chief claims officer at Citizens. He asks, give us a chance to fail. You can hire a public adjuster at any time. So work with your insurance company. Your contractor can talk to your insurance company to make sure that the settlement is fair and what's needed to rebuild. But if you find that you're at an impasse at some point during the claims process, then you can always hire a public adjuster at that time. What are you telling your clients right now about what to focus on when it comes to you know both getting water damage stuff out of their houses, but also documenting damage for insurance? Like, how does what's the best approach right now for people who are getting out to their properties? Well, every insurance company requires that you take reasonable steps to protect your home from further damage. Well, what's reasonable uh, in some parts of Cape Coral, for instance, it might be different than what's reasonable on Sanibel. Um, it was ten days. Uh, from the beginning of the storm until the time when Sanibel said it's okay for homeowners to return to the island. And even then, when they said it was okay, they still said it's dangerous. Insurance companies don't expect that you are going to ignore the advice of your local government. They don't expect that you're going to put yourself in danger to take those steps. Uh, That said, not everybody has insurance uh, or coverage that's going to, to work with their specific set of circumstances. So, the faster you can get the wet, moldy stuff out of your house, do it. But take a lot of pictures. Um, the more pictures you have, the easier it's going to be to get through the, the process, particularly if you have contents coverage. FEMA is not looking for you to take a picture of each individual item that you have in your home. But if you have a particular item of value, say more than a couple hundred dollars, you're going to want to make sure you take a close picture of that. If it's a television set, a refrigerator, a washer and dryer, they want to see the serial number. So you cannot take too many pictures in this process. I don't know if it's too soon to ask this question, but from your perspective, you know, what will this storm mean for the broader property insurance market here in Florida? I know some insurers have been pulling out of the market even before the storm. 
it's there were two different reasons. So the reason why the insurers were pulling out of the market before the storm was because of abusive litigation uh, within the state. Florida has about eight percent of all the homeowner insurance policies and close to eighty percent of all the homeowner litigation in the country. Uh, so uh, that that is a problem the state legislature has been working on, and we expect that they'll continue to work on going forward. And that's what's driven the the, the, the insolvencies we've seen up until now. Uh, I think it's too early to tell, and I certainly want, want to get ahead of insurance companies. That's really not my area of expertise to know what their balance sheets look like. We rely on their ratings. We rely on their approvals from the Office of Insurance Regulation to determine you know, whether or not a company is is, is solvent and um, meets the requirements of the state to be writing business here. It's uh, no question. It's a big hit. And one thing I'd say, though, is that you know, most insurance companies in Florida rely very heavily on reinsurance. Um, so it's not just their assets. They have reinsurance that will undoubtedly perform uh, in this market. But I haven't heard any specific statistics from anyone other than citizens that I shared earlier to say you know, how they may do um, and uh, what may happen to premiums in the future. Um, I looked it up because I was never uh, actually aware of this, and I found that Sanibel Island has a population of about 7,400 people. Fair to say it's a tight-knit community out there? It is, yes. Uh, you know, during the storm, um, I, I knew some people that rode the storm out, um, actually way more than I would have expected. But the storm also, the forecast it was, was kind of hard to read. Uh, it, it was, But it was a scary time, knowing that we had friends who were, in the home, in their homes, while we were watching what was happening here, we we were off the island. My family, unfortunately, um, Sanibel lost four lives, and and that's that's tragic. Um, the fact that it was only four is actually shocking to me, given the number of people that stayed. What did it feel like for you to see those FPL trucks coming over the causeway yesterday? It was unbelievable. Uh, it was a, a an adrenaline rush. Um, I was we like I said we were on that boat tour uh, and we were coming. We surrounded the lighthouse and came up on the causeway and there was just a line of 150 electrical trucks driving over the causeway. And uh, I would have thought that it would have been months or maybe even a year before we would have seen that. It's just unbelievable, and and seeing the community rally, um, it, it just supporting each other. Um, the, the, the business that rents bikes on the island said, you know what, I'm not charging anything. There's no one in my place. I have all these bikes on my lot. You walk by and need a bike, pick it up and use it. And leave it wherever you want to. We'll go pick them up later. Neighbors lending hand trucks and helping each other clean out their homes and, and dry out. Um, uh, that's, that's really the spirit of this community. And um, uh, something to see. Hmm. Last question. Um, I know they're saying that there may be some access for non-FPL trucks uh, by October 21st. Um, you know, have you heard anything about long-term repairing of the causeway, or is that even on the table yet? I don't think that's on the table yet. I think the city has done a phenomenal job of prioritizing, and and this works. This is true for the city, and I think it's something that every individual has to go through. This is a long recovery process. The insurance claims process is going to be just that, a process. It's step by step. And um, what I've tried to encourage my family to do is you know, focus on the knowns, focus on what we can do today, uh, what has to be done today. And we're going to get to the further steps down the road, but we have to take it one step at a time. So focusing first on 
uh, search and rescue, that absolutely was the top priority. Lives matter more than anything else. And then making the island safe for us to return. And then bringing the folks that are going to repair our infrastructure and restore sewer and restore water and restore electricity, um, bring a fire department back to the island, um, having the causeway so that if someone does get injured while they're repairing their home or cleaning up, that an ambulance can get them to the uh, hospital more quickly. Those are our short-term goals that we need to keep our eye on. And we're going to have plenty of time to get to the longer-term goals. All right. I want to thank my guest, Chris Heydrich, his agency principal at Heydrich & Company Insurance on Sanibel Island. Chris, we really appreciate your time and, you know, good luck in the days and weeks and months ahead. Mike, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you. If you would like to engage with us about today's show, please do so using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. For the rest of the show today, we're checking in with the school district of Lee County. It's currently estimated that more than 100 teachers and district staff lost their homes or are currently unable to live in them due to damage from Hurricane Ian. Earlier this week, the district held three days of support to help teachers and other employees navigate these difficult times. I spoke with Dr. Denise Carlin. She's Chief Communications and Government Relations Officer with the district. Dr. Carlin, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. Thank you, Mike, so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So real quick, so what is your role at the district when we're not recovering from a hurricane? Yes, sir. So um, my day-to-day is providing um, some executive support for our communications department, and then I am in charge of um, government relations for the school district. So working with our municipalities, our uh, elected officials, just uh, being the liaison between the school district and um, and the greater community. Understood. So um, as I understand it, some teachers have lost their homes or at least their ability to live in their homes for now uh, because of Hurricane Ian. What can you tell us about the scope of that. Yeah, Mike. So just like so many in our community, you know, our teachers and our support staff members and our administrators, um, they too have suffered loss. We have some of our employees that have done very well, like ourselves, you know, we're very fortunate, you know, minimal damage, if any. And then we have teachers and support staff members and administrators that have completely lost their homes. Many have lost their roofs. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really been a tough time um, for, for our employees and, um, you know, our hearts go out to them. So what kind of support is the district able to provide people in that position? Yeah, so so what we have done um, is we have connected with FEMA, United Way, Community Cooperative. Uh, we've had some attorneys that have um, donated some time um, to review contracts. So what we've done is we've structured something called the SDLC Days of Support. And those have been um, over the last three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week, October um, 10th through 12th, where we've invited our employees to come to the district office here on Colonial Boulevard, um, allow them to come in, let us know what their needs are, and then we play matchmaker. You know, if you need to see FEMA and file a claim, you need help with food, water, supplies, United Way, community cooperative stepping in. You know, I've had some contracts. I don't know what this means. Some attorneys that have provided some pro bono work for us. So really just trying to wrap our employees in support. The sooner that they're able to get back on their feet, you know, then we certainly want to open schools, but we can't do that until we have, you know, provided for our employees. And and that's what we're committed to do. Uh, Do you have a a number or an estimate on like how many of these teachers and and other support staff and administration people have been coming into these uh, days of support? Yes. Monday was extremely heavy. We had, you know, somewhere around, you know, 
you know, anywhere between four and 500 people that came in. It doesn't sound like a lot when you think 13,000 employees, um, but it, it was significant on Monday. The lines were long, but um, today and, and yesterday um, were a little more manageable. So I would say at the end of this, you know, we will have impacted, you know, probably about a thousand of our employees. Um, that's not to say there aren't more out there. Um, some of them have said, I'm going to bring information back to my friends. Um, so, so at this point, I would say by the end of today, we likely about a thousand of our employees. Um, are there any plans to do more of these days in the future, or do you feel like at this point the people who have the need have come? So, I think there are significant, you know, more people out there that um, that do do have needs. Um, you know, some people told us, called us, and said, you know, I can't get in there, um, but what information can you give me over the phone? So, we are going to be flexible. You know, if our employees, you know, if we start finding out that there's more need then we will structure more of these days because, again, you know, we're a people business and we want to make sure we're taking care of our people. So it's not out of the question to do more. This was just our initial, you know, take on trying to get some some help with housing and other needs of our employees, you know, for these first three days. So we're open to doing more when we can. Um, I heard a statement from Superintendent Bernier where he was reassuring teachers and staff that payroll was going to be going ahead as normal through this. Is that still the plan for the foreseeable future? Yeah, Mike, we're committed to our employees. And so, you know, until until he says otherwise, you know, we are we are providing paychecks for people. You know, it's very important. We want our schools open, but we have to invest in our folks and make sure that all of our employees are doing fine and that they're stabilized. You know, as you know, the storm uh, created, you know, a really disproportionate impact across our community. You know, we've got family members that live down in the Stero, you know, and, and, and many of those homes, you know, seem to do okay. Um, yet, you know, you drive into the South Cape or on the Barrier Islands or other areas throughout our county and you see, you know, people's lives on the curb. So so we are committed to payroll for our employees. Um, we've got to keep that income coming in because they are, they're, they're the heart of our community. I know this isn't your department whatsoever, I don't think, but do you have any sense at this point of when operations in Lee County schools will be resuming? Yep. So you may have heard the superintendent um, did indicate that we are shooting for a goal of Monday, October 17th. That is contingent on a number of things happening, making sure that we have safe buildings. That is number one, um, making sure that, you know, we have teachers and support staff members to properly staff our schools. You know, we still have some infrastructure issues going on in the county. The county has done a fantastic job of you know, getting power back on in partnership with FPNL and LCEC. Um, but if you drive around, you still see a significant amount of debris, um, you know, some, some wires hanging down in the Cape. Um, so we've got to make sure that conditions are safe for our children. So when they walk to the bus stop, you know, they're not encountering any hazards. So our community has done a great job. Hats off to, you know, Lee County and other elected officials that are at the EOC and pushing hard for our infrastructure to be back up and running. Um, so our goal is, is Monday, October 17th, but the superintendent will be making an announcement on that toward the end of the week here. Uh, last question. Is there anything that people listening can do to help your efforts to help teachers if they have the means? Yeah, absolutely. So our foundation for Lee County Public Schools has set up a a fund 
um, where you can just Google Foundation for Lee County Public Schools. They have a hurricane relief fund. We are asking for you know any and all donations to go through the foundation. We've had so many people might contact us and ask for where can we write a check. Again, the Foundation for Lee County Public Schools, United Way has been a wonderful partner for supplies, um, any of those types of things. So reach out to the United Way. They are actually here at our district office right now being the conveyor of supplies to our staff. So they're on-site helping. So if you want to donate goods, contact the United Way. Funding, you know, certainly to the Foundation for Lee County Public Schools. It's also my understanding that the Southwest Florida Community Foundation has also um, set up a, um, a fund for hurricane relief. But for the schools, we say the foundation. Understood. All right, that is all the time we have, but I want to thank my guest, Dr. Denise Carlin, is Chief Communications and Government Relations Officer with the School District of Lee County. Dr. Carlin, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike, and thank you for allowing us to share what we're doing for our employees. And just again, um, a big thank you for everything you're doing to get the word out to our entire community. Appreciate it. Thanks also to my earlier guest, Chris Heydrich, agency principal at Heydrich and Company Insurance on Sanibel Island. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.